And the natural host for most influenza A viruses are different types of birds. So like wild aquatic birds, particularly certain types of wild ducks, geese, swans, gulls, <laughs> shorebirds, and terns are all natural hosts for influenza type A viruses. So this is where that little bugger is actually coming from, hence the term bird There was flu, some emphasis. Which is just a... Yeah, <laughs> on swans there, as if you're like, hey, swans, we know you're good-looking birds, but you're just as bad as the rest. There was some stank on that swans yeah, I... there. As a result of the outbreak, your city or entire region may be endangered by a lethal agent. If conditions at your location make this a possibility... You need to consider staying in place until the threat has subsided or blown over. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Viral Load Podcast, the disease podcast for this disease world. As always, I'm Andy Pupa. And I'm Brett Bales. What's up, party people? <laughs> it's been a while. Did you miss us? We missed you. Yeah, definitely. We've been... But the worth is waiting. <laughs> we got a hot one. Yeah, we got a, we got a hot hotbed of fun here today. Uh Fresh, fresh new diseases right off the uh, the old oven uh, stovetop. Uh, what saved me? Uh, what do you do? Yeah. What do you do when you're cooking? Uh, the, right out of the microwave. Yeah. Some hot hot takes out of the microwave. That's what I'm doing. Burning the mac and cheese <laughs> on the stovetop. Uh, we're we're coming out of COVID at least um, for now. Yeah. I got all right. I'm not going to be a I'm not going to be a wet blanket. I'm not going to be a Debbie Downer. <laughs> we're 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 looking okay. Oh. Uh, it's definitely not rampaging around in other parts of the world, uh, <laughs> priming us for a new variant. Um, but we'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. At least we don't have to wear masks anymore, because that's such a such a big deal. Woo, yeah. No. I went to the movies the other day for the first time in like two oh, years. Oh, yeah. What'd, what'd you see? It was very, very interesting. Quiet Place too. Very good. Very good. Recommend Ooh, it. Yeah. All right. Yep. It's on my list, so I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go check it out. Yeah, one of those rare like sequels that doesn't suck. Yeah, well, John Krasinski's awesome, so I think that's going to be solid. Sweet. Uh, just no mask, just breathing all over everything. Oh, yeah? Just mm, mm. soaking it in all the smells. And, mm. Did you get the full tub of popcorn, or how'd you go? What'd you get? What were your snacks? Popcorn until I feel nauseous, <laughs> uh, so I get a big popcorn. Um Oh yeah, popcorn freak. Yeah, and then you get like some gummy bears or Skittles, and I dump them in the popcorn. No, what? You're so you get one them, of them. All, like buttery and oily oh, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, oh. and they get kind of melty. Yeah, Oof. yeah, that's good. Oh man, you go full. Yeah. You go full box of candy in the popcorn. Wow. The only time it's appropriate to mix sweet and savory. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, controversial. <laughs> that might be the most controversial thing we say today. Yeah. Yeah. Please don't turn this off. It's gonna be a good episode. I promise. Uh, and Brett, you're out. You're done mm -hmm. with uh, the old. Colicio now. Uh, that's uh, that's French for. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm on summer break. Yeah, don't don't hate the player, hate the game. Mm -hmm. I'm on summer break. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it is amazing. So uh, hopefully my brain hasn't atrophied too much, but uh, we'll see. So bear with us. Yeah, and I've been uh, barreling down. My I uh, sorry. Part of the reason why we're <clears throat> we're a little late on some of our episodes right now is because I was finishing training for my new jobby, and uh, and then when I got in there, um, fun fact: I didn't even tell Brett this yet because I wanted to see his reaction. Uh, the first day I started. 
there's a, an illegal gambling ring that popped up at the uh, the facility next door, and now their uh, their marijuana, tobacco, and like crack smoke uh, is coming through the walls to our patients, <laughs> and I had to get uh, industrial sized uh, air scrubbers to clean the air <laughs> to improve the air quality. Um, it's been pretty, it's been pretty oh, phenomenal. Wow. So yeah, I'm working with the vice <laughs> that's department. Like an, that's an OSHA thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working with wow. the vice department of the police department. I talked to the mayor the other day, uh, cause I tried to get him to escalate the issue. Uh, yeah. Now, wow. yeah. Now the big update is, uh, that that's, vice, uh, vice is, uh, cutting their power tonight, um, to see, you know, if they can flush them out. So uh, big, big stuff happening in really? in the life of uh, I'm, me. I, I'm picturing like a really like a, a sweaty, smoky like room uh-huh. with a bunch of like guys sitting around a table. Uh, one of them has a ba- like a blindfold on, and they're passing around a, a like a pistol that has the one bullet in it, playing Russian roulette. Yeah, that's what I'm I'm picturing. You are picturing a much more upscale version of what is actually happening. Uh, it's mostly uh, yeah, it, yeah. It's uh, it's a lot of people in uh, in white tank tops, um, oversized shorts, oh. and you know bicycles. Yeah, uh, janky bicycles that were probably, probably stolen like playing, from children. Yeah, <laughs> like. Rolling dice, yeah, 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 playing cards, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. One slot so, machine. Uh, we're both doing great. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but uh, let's jump into it. So, uh, Brett, what are we? What are we talking about mm-hmm. today? What do we throw together? Because I threw in a few little, but you did the majority. So we're gonna be talking about. I I think this is uh, one that I've been. Uh, this is the okay. So w- when people ask me, uh, you're an epidemiologist. What diseases scare you? Uh, I always say bird flu, and today we're going to talk about bird flu um, <laughs> because uh, it's it's important. I think a lot of people are uh, sick of talking about COVID, so we're not going to uh, talk about COVID too much, um, but it is an example of a pandemic that could have been a lot worse, and I think a bird flu-style pandemic could be uh, that thing that brings society to its knees. Uh, so, so don't worry. There'll be we'll have some chuckles during this episode. Don't <laughs> worry. So, COVID sucked in general, um, but you know there were some good things that came out of it. Air pollution went way down for a few weeks. I think we're we're now back to polluting more than ever. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> we got all like a, a nice break from office chit chat and small talk, which I personally just drives me crazy. I, I hate it. Um, and uh, we had a virtually non-existent flu season this past uh, year in the United States, at least. We basically, the, the flu just kind of like uh, skipped over us. I think, you know, because everyone was wearing masks and doing the, you know, COVID uh, prevention stuff. And uh, we were just, yeah, we got spared the flu. So some people thought we were going to have like the double double barrel kind of epidemic when winter came, you know, COVID plus flu season. Um, but yeah, we, we got spared a flu season this year, which is good news. But 
it's not all good. Yeah, I have a feeling it's uh, those light notes right there that set us up for uh, the, the worst. It's like that that silver lining in any movie that's like one of those uh, I Am Legends where you think like, oh, he's he's going to find the cure. He's going he's gonna to make it out of this. And then you're like, oh, no, he's going to have to blow himself up right, right at the pivotal part of the movie. Uh, you know, and uh, I feel like you're about to tell us, Brett, that the zombies win in the end. Yeah. I've got one word for you, for us, for everyone. Bird flu 22. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're going to go from COVID-19 to I hope I'm, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just joshing here. Uh, mm. I don't think it's going to be in 2022. Probably be in 23, maybe 24. Who knows? <laughs> it could be any time, actually. But uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. The next potential pandemic uh, could be of the avian influenza variety, bird flu. This And so uh, bird flu 22 is the hypothetical pandemic that we have to look forward to next. This feels like Brett's version of the doomsday clock. <laughs> like when and when will, it's inevitable. When will it happen? We don't know, but it's definitely getting closer to midnight every day. Move the doomsday clock up to five minutes until midnight. Yeah, and is it is it dark? Is it weird that I have uh, avian influenza, bird flu, uh, like news alerts where I get I get news uh, links sent to me when there's a reported human case of a bird flu variant somewhere in the world? Just to, I guess, just to keep me in a state of constant readiness and, <laughs> and alertness. I, I love for uh, you and, for y- and anxiety. <laughs> yeah, for I was gonna say for you, it's like readiness. For anybody else, that would be a constant state of fear. Of, oh no, I was right. No, oh no, no. This so this one does you know does scare me. You know, a lot of people also ask like, oh, you're an epidemiologist, so are you just like so afraid of germs? Or are you just like looking around everywhere and just seeing a world covered in germs? But honestly, I think the more you know about a lot of diseases, uh, the less uh, the less afraid of them you get. Like I know a lot about Ebola, and so I know like what puts you at risk and what doesn't, and I, it's it demystifies I think the diseases. Yeah. But one thing where that is not the case is with avian influenza, uh, and we're going to talk about it today. Why uh, we're kind of right on the threshold of uh, potentially a pretty devastating epidemic pandemic situation, um, and I, I mentioned these news reports that I I you know, try to tap into and they're, they're happening kind of all the time. I mean, not literally, but there, there's these news stories that you see popping up, uh, different places around the world, uh, reporting things like China reports first human case of H10N3 bird flu. Uh, this was a June 1st news story from Reuters, Rudders. I don't know, you know, the news uh, agency. <laughs> uh, they report, quote, a 41-year-old man in China's eastern province has been confirmed as the first human case of infection with a rare strain of bird flu known as H10N3. The WHO goes on to say the source of the patient's exposure to the H10N3 virus is not known at this time, and no other cases were found in emergency surveillance among the local population. At this time, there is no indication of human-to-human transmission. But as long as avian influenza viruses circulate in poultry, sporadic infection of avian influenza in humans is not surprising, which is a vivid reminder that the threat of an influenza pandemic is persistent. This was published uh, June 1st. So we're talking like real-time stuff here. Yeah, like three weeks ago. Yeah, yep. But uh, these are the kind of things, and like, have you, 
Have you like heard these types of stories or seen these? I mean, there's there's all the we'll talk about all the combinations of H's and N's, but you know, another one that we'll talk about is Russia is reporting an avian influenza outbreak, uh, H5N8. Um, so maybe this is just my sad dark world, but is is that a thing that people know about? Are they aware that there's like these these combinations of H's and N's that are making the news every now and again? No, well, I don't think like the average like layman person knows any of the, like I would be like just as well to say like H five N eight as I am like C three PO like R two D two like there's not. Like my brain doesn't go there, but now that I'm part of this podcast, it does. So like yeah. now yeah. I feel like I'm like hyper vigilant to it. But if you asked me four mm-hmm. years ago, like, oh, what I thought about like, you know, the swine flu or bird flu or whatever, I'd be like, oh, there was this funny commercial when I was a child that had Bert the bird flu. And that's all I know about bird flu. Uh, but now, Brett, okay. you've brought it to my attention. Oh, we're going to be, we're going to be so woke after this episode. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, and, you know, one of the points early on that we'll make here is that, you know, bird flu is not like one one thing. It's kind of a, a category of influenza viruses that originate in birds, but they can take many different forms. Um, so there's the series of H's and N's. So right now we have uh, an outbreak of H10N3 in China. We have an outbreak of H5N8 in Russia, which is the first documented case of uh, H5N8. And eight in humans, and uh, this is happening in Russia right now. So uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about what these mean, but uh, that's that's the intro. That's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and this is the, the crazy part about this is Brett is basically like a modern day Nostradamus when it comes to this because Brett has been predicting bird flu for the past two years. If you've been listening to our annual episodes where we talk about what we think the next pandemic will be, Brett keeps doubling down on bird flu. Like, really, like, mm-hmm. it is literally like that scene in, what is it, uh, in Billy Madison, where he just keeps on saying, like, Christopher Columbus or Spanish Armada, and, you know, just hoping that uh. that's the answer. This is Brett recounting his first guess at bird flu on vaccination station Herd Immunity that we published on January 17th, 2021. Because I, I feel like I came a little close. I feel like I deserve a little credit. Uh, it was For, a, with bird flu? Because uh, bats pandemic. are like birds? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that where you're going with? Bats are close to birds? Well, you know, I mean, in the in the grand scheme of diseases, I... I was in the I was in the vicinity, I think. Um, well, I, I feel I also feel like you have a little bit of a head start have being a doctor of epidemiology. Yeah. I feel like yeah. maybe maybe there maybe everybody listening wasn't like Andy's going to nail this. You know, nobody yeah. expected big things. Well, a broken what does they say? A broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah, I guess so. so if I just I keep blurting out bird flu, bird flu, bird <laughs> flu, the answer is bird flu. <laughs> Uh, Eventually, it's going to be right. If I ever took your class, I'd probably just put bird flu on everything. I feel like I'd get half credit. Yeah. you just be like, any potential future students listening (laughs) to this podcast, the answer to the extra credit question is bird flu. (laughs) But like, why were you so, why, like, like now, I mean, two years into this, why are you so set on bird flu? Like, do you have something against birds? Do you hate birds? They do something to you? Or like, you know, like... (laughs) I don't know. Like, you're just more of a raccoon guy a with your plants? A lot of people are afraid of birds. A lot of people have that phobia. Yeah. I don't, actually. I love birds. Although, uh, if you do hear a strange noise right now, I am recording uh, in a garage with no door that is <laughs> uh, in close proximity to a bunch of wild peacocks. 
uh, that are making like mating noises or something. Brett is uh, um, actually recording live <laughs> from the San Diego Zoo. <laughs> like, yeah, no, but literally any kind of weird squawking or it, they kind of sound like uh, peacocks. I, I I don't know what a peacock's. I don't know how to describe it, but it's quite annoying. Um, but other than that, I don't have anything against bird flu. Um, but that's going to be basically the point of today's episode is to uh, maybe uh, spread the concern. I don't want to say like uh, fear, but maybe spread the uh, awareness that I think we all need to start like placing on the the possibility that there's some strange new virus lurking out there that that could start spreading around to uh, the global population. Let's start with the basics. And this is a this is like a, a something that I want to try to avoid going too much into the sciencey weeds, but we're we're gonna learn a little. This is edutainment after all. Mm-hmm. So let's start with just the basics. Um, and let's talk about influenza just in general. So influenza is a virus. Uh, and there are four types of influenza viruses, technically, A, B, C, and D. So humans get influenza A and B. These are the viruses that cause seasonal epidemics, aka the flu season. So uh, during the flu season, or if you've ever gotten the flu, or if you get a flu shot, uh, that is to protect you against strains of influenza A and B. Influenza A viruses are the only viruses, uh, influenza viruses known to cause flu pandemics in people. And a pandemic, in case you didn't know what that was, <laughs> occurs when there is either a new or very different, let's say, influenza A virus that emerges that infects both people and has the ability to spread efficiently between people. So this is an example of a zoonotic spillover event, just like with COVID, uh, this kind of thing happens not infrequently where a virus jumps from an animal to a person, but that's only part of the pandemic's uh, recipe. You also need it to then be able to spread from person to person. After it spills over into humans, it needs to be able to then spread from person to person. And basically, uh, we've gotten lucky so far in that we we're getting these pings of bird flu. We're getting like these news reports that, you know, Russia's reporting a new type of bird flu. China's reporting a new type of bird flu. Um, that's a, these are examples of when the virus just spills over when it, when it maybe affects a, a few people at like a poultry farm, but it just burns itself out because it really doesn't spread from person to person. That's one reason why uh, COVID was so devastating or is so devastating is because it is transmissible from person to person. So wherever it came from, whether it was a bat or a pangolin or whatever, um, it then adopted the ability to um, to spread from person to person. So those are uh, flu A and B. Uh, influenza C generally causes really mild illness and not really thought uh, to cause human flu epidemics. So influenza C, we're not really going to talk about today. And influenza D, primarily affect cattle, of all things, and are not known to infect or cause illness in people. So C and D are a thing, but we're going to focus on influenza type A and B because these are the ones that affect humans, potentially. And I got to say, if at this point uh, you've listened to all of our episodes, and we're on episode uh, like 55 now, and you still don't know what a pandemic is, I'm going to say that's impressive. 
Like you've tried not That's impressive. to. Impressive. I like, want to rent. I want to uh, <laughs> rent a space in the rock that you live under because it's <laughs> got to be quite roomy. Uh, yeah, and if you're just joining us and uh, you haven't listened to any other episodes, welcome. We're glad you came. Uh, but uh, you know, <laughs> quick come for the bird flu, stay for the joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, what does this like have to do with like birds? So like, what is like bird flu, like we talk about influenza, you know, A, B, C, D, Z, Y, X, W, but like why birds? Like what's the deal? Well, uh, you know, people are still debating uh, where COVID technically came from. We know it came from an animal. And just like with COVID, uh, flu viruses come from animals. And the natural host for most influenza A viruses are different types of birds. So like wild aquatic birds, Particularly certain types of wild ducks, geese, swans, gulls, shorebirds, and terns are all natural hosts for influenza type A viruses. So this is where that little bugger is actually coming from, hence the term bird There was some emphasis. Which is just a... Yeah, <laughs> on swans there, as if you're like, hey, swans, we know you're good-looking birds, but you're just as bad as the rest. There was some stank on that swans yeah, I- there. Yeah, that and that scene in Billy Madison. Uh, you know, stop. Was that Billy Madison? Yeah, one of those. Yeah, stop looking at me, swan. Movies. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So let's just to con- okay. So we're all clear that we're going to be talking about type A, possibly type B. Um, flu is divided into A, B, C, D. Um, now we got to talk about surface proteins a little bit. <laughs> so influenza A viruses are further divided into subtypes based on these two types of proteins that are found on the surface of the virus. So this is, again, I think, okay, I'll just keep using COVID as a point of reference because we all just, we we were all in it. Um, If you see, if you picture a a mental picture of COVID, the virus, and it has little red, like spiky things on it, those are the uh, proteins that help it to bind to, uh, you know, your cells and really those are what characterize the type of virus. So um, flu viruses have the same kind of deal. They don't look look like COVID, but they have these um, types of proteins that distinguish them and that are different enough from each other to be called different subtypes. So it's just like a lock and key, the protein that attaches to your cells. Uh, you know, you have to have the right combination of lock and key. And uh, there are different combinations of potential flu viruses based on the types of protein. So the two proteins are uh, hemagglutinin, which is the H, and neuraminidase, which is the N. So like H1N1, H5N8 refer to the different combination of protein types, hemagglutinin and neuraminidase, H's and N's. So there are 18 known different hemagglutin H types, subtypes, H1 through H18. And there are 11 different N subtypes, N1 through N11. So theoretically, there are potentially 198 different influenza A subtype combinations. But only 131 subtypes have been detected in nature. So... um, there you go. So basically, they're saying that they're like, if you just do the math out of there and randomization, it should be 198, yeah. but we've only found 131 so far. Okay. Yeah. 
That's it. Okay. I can yeah, wrap my head around it. We got it, people. We're all on the bus now, and Brett's driving. So let, let's let's get there. Yeah. Giddy up. Here we go. But it's not only birds. All known subtypes, as I say, of influenza A viruses can infect birds, except for uh, those those dumb little H17N10s and the H18N11s. Uh, those have only been found in bats. Oh, bats coming back. But, uh, this is not a bad episode. It's not a bad episode. As much as I want to talk about bats, it's not. It's not that. So some subtypes are found in other infect uh, other uh, animal species. For example, H7N7 and H3N8. And there's going to be a quiz after this, by the way. Fuck. Virus <laughs> infections cause illness in horses, and H3N8 infection causes illness in horses and dogs. So there you go. Pull. Poultry that are infected with uh, what are what's known as uh, low pathogenic avian influenza (LPAI) viruses uh, don't really show signs of disease and maybe exhibit some mild illness, such as ruffled feathers or a drop in egg production. That's a sure sign that your birds are not feeling their best. Um, but if a bird is infected with this type of the virus. Uh, it may not even be detected. Um, there's another type that infect birds or poultry, highly pathogenic avian influenza virus. So essentially, you can split uh, the type of bird flu, the flu that are found in birds. You can further classify them as low or high pathogenic, uh, meaning do they make the birds mildly ill or not ill at all? That's low. Or do they uh, just wipe through and, and clean out all the bird populations by killing everything that's highly pathogenic. So the highly pathogenic strains cause disease that affect a bunch of different internal organs and has mortality rates between 90 to 100% in chickens. So if uh, poultry like chickens uh, are infected with a highly pathogenic strain of a influenza virus, 90 to 100% mortality rate, often within just 48 hours. So that's uh, really, really bad news for chicken farmers. Both the highly pathogenic and low pathogenic strains of the virus can spread rapidly through poultry flocks. And as I'll get into, uh, don't refer to the severity of illness in humans. We're just talking about characterizing the flu viruses based on how they affect the birds. So, Brett, what you're saying there is that there's high pathogenic and low pathogenic, but that has nothing to do with how they affect us. Instead, it talks about whether the birds get sick themselves, i.e. whether they're a like strong host, uh, i.e. a bat, or if they really, really get sick, like we might see in Ebola and monkeys or apes. Yeah, and it's, uh, again, another way of classifying all the different types of potential influenza viruses that exist out there. We talked about how there are A's, B's, C's, and D's, and then you can further classify them by their combination of proteins, H's and N's, and then you can further classify them by this highly or low pathogenic uh, versions. And so these categories are based on the molecular characteristics of the virus, so the nuts and bolts of the virus, which, you know, we're not going to really get into any more detail than that, um, and the, the ability to cause disease and mortality in chickens. So if it wipes out a chicken flock or whatever, a gaggle of chickens, um, 
What's a group of chickens? Okay, so I looked that up because it was bothering me. What is a group of chickens called? And unfortunately, it's just called a flock. Sometimes it's called a brood if it's hens. If it's a chick or a group of chicks, it's called a clutch or a peep. So that's how they got peeps, I guess. So, wow, I guess that's fun, huh? Back to Brett. I don't know. Uh, if it kills them all, it is highly pathogenic. If it makes them not sick or barely sick, it is low pathogenic. However, these, this does not refer to the severity of illness in humans because both low pathogenic and high pathogenic viruses have and can cause very severe, serious illness in humans. Okay. So... All right, so looking at that, mm-hmm. Brent, so like, I mean, this sounds pretty dangerous. They got really serious. Whoever did the research originally on this was a little bit of an overachiever, breaking it down into like 19 different categories with 190. They just kept going down the rabbit hole. Yeah. I'm just picturing somebody in like a dark basement for mm-hmm. years and finally emerging with all of this information, just spitting out like 17 different acronyms, um, you know, but... Uh, Maybe that's what they were doing <laughs> in that gambling den of yours. They were throwing dice, different <laughs> yeah. combinations of H's and N's, and they're, oh, that's, where, that's you know, where they I should, come from. I should head over. I tried I to get know. in the other I'm day, sure but they, uh, they had their video camera on. They wouldn't buzz me in, so I'm thinking, uh, you know, I'm thinking maybe it's some top secret CIA <sighs> stuff now. I mean, ah, and so like, okay, but seriously, hmm. like, so like, why are we dealing with a coronavirus pandemic instead of the bird flu when it seems like this is really, really plausible? Like this could happen at any moment and it already is happening. But why Why yeah. is coronavirus so much worse right now? Yeah, there's like so many different combinations of flu viruses out there. And that's maybe uh, surprising to some people, right? It's like, well, you get the flu. The flu is the flu. But really, there are all these different types. And if you get vaccinated for one type, and then you're exposed to another one, your vaccine may not have any effect because it's, you know, that different. So the the reason why we're talking about, you know, everyone's got COVID on the brain instead of bird flu, uh, like, like I do, like that is my waking nightmare and hot soup of vivid nightmares that involve bird flu. Uh, avian influenza viruses actually rarely infect people. Uh, so rarely, in fact, that they make international news headlines when like a couple of people get sick from uh, bird flu. Uh, that's essentially where we're at just in general right now is we know that these viruses that come from birds occasionally get into people, but then they really don't go anywhere from there. They have not uh, basically evolved the ability to spread efficiently from person to person, mm-hmm. which has really saved our ass so far. But uh, what I'll argue is that there are so many different types of combinations, and we know that the pressures that uh, humans are kind of putting on the, the environment are making it such that we're just increasing the probability that uh, the, you know, quote-unquote, right one will spill over and we'll mm-hmm. be able to spread from person to person. And because there's so many... And because there's so many different types of like strains and everything, like that's is kind of similar. I mean, tell me if I'm off base, yeah. but why like we haven't tried to cure the common cold and things like that is because there's so many different strains. There's like 200 different strains of that, and so you're it's constantly it's different, right? Like every strain is different, just like this. And so I yeah. mean, now that we have you know the uh, the vaccinations for the for COVID nineteen. 
I mean, it probably paves the way for them to figure out yep. combinations with this, with the same lock and key mechanism for diseases like this, would you think? Yeah. And, you know, we're also seeing uh, this kind of playing out with COVID with the new variants. So viruses are just basically little uh, little tricksters that get your your cells to make tons and tons mm-hmm. of copies of, them, of the virus. So just like when you're copying a document, the more times you copy it, the, the chances that there's going to be like a smudge or like maybe a, a weird word or, or a typo or something goes up. And that's exactly the, the same idea with viruses. So um, with, with COVID, we're seeing basically it's still COVID-19. It's still the same kind of virus, but it's slowly starting to branch off into these like new variants. And eventually those may become different enough where you have like different okay. subtypes of COVID-19. And like your you know vaccine that you took just recently mm-hmm. may not work on the new subtypes. And with, with avian influenza, there's all these different possible combinations based on like, you know, jillions of years of evolution of, of virus, virus evolution uh, that we have all these different okay. like little subtypes. So uh, the ones that we're going to talk about in today's episode and the ones that are uh, pinging my Google News Alerts uh, notification system that I have set up, and maybe I should uh, disable that so I... Uh, slightly less neurotic about uh, bird flu. And I stopped screaming that at the <laughs> gas station or at the grocery store or to everyone I, I run into. <laughs> the birds, the birds. Okay. Um, so uh, the basically the ones that are on our radar, the ones that are on my radar, the H5s, the H7s, and the H9s, which sound like different um, versions of the hum... <laughs> or the Humvee. Yeah, and just like the Hummer, uh, all of these will ruin the world one day. <laughs> will destroy humanity. I like that. That's that's good. Uh, this episode brought to you by uh, whatever the company is that uh, makes Humvee. I don't know. I think they got bought by like GMC or something, but it ruins, you know, I don't, I don't know on anything else, but it... All, all, all you need to know is uh, neither one of these things is going to help with our gas issues. So, you know, let's see what, let's see what happens. Right. Too true. So uh, we are in the world of influenza A, the viruses that are most likely to cause disease in people. We, uh, we know that the ones of most concern right now, the ones that are on the radar of epidemiologists and whatnot, influenza A type H5. And this is the most uh, widely identified in wild birds and poultry um, and are typically low pathogenic uh, varieties in birds. So the H5 varieties uh, are pretty widespread in bird populations. Uh, we're probably miscounting a lot of it because we just don't notice that the birds are sick or they get a really mild illness. Um, and human infection of the H5N1 virus, for example, uh, is only reported in 16 different countries. But this does result in severe pneumonia and severe disease, often with greater than 50% mortality rates when it does get into humans. So it doesn't really cause the birds to get sick, but it can be quite deadly for people. And this isn't even the most severe type of avian influenza, but H5N1 during an outbreak results in more than 50% mortality. So that's another reason why this scares the bejesus out of me and why I say we got a little lucky uh, with COVID is because, you know, what's COVID? Uh, less than 1% mortality 
you know, when it all shakes out, when it's all said and done, yeah. probably something around there. Um, we're talking about a disease that is over 50% mortality rate in people. Yeah, it has the potential to cut the population in half if ran rapid and like not contained. So that's one of the things that, you know, keeps me up. Uh, the other one that is of concern is the H7. And there are nine different known subtypes of H7. And the H7 viruses that we know about worldwide in birds are also low pathogenic uh, types, which means that they are spreading amongst birds, not killing most of them, and probably going undetected under our radar because we just don't notice that anything's wrong because the birds are still, you know, running around pecking at stuff Mm -hmm. and laying eggs and uh, and doing all their bird stuff. So uh, the H7 variety to date has been very uncommon in humans. Uh, A human infection is rare, but commonly results in very severe respiratory illness and death. So it has another very high death rate like the H5. And then finally, the H9s, also nine known subtypes. All H9 viruses worldwide are found in wild birds and poultry are also low pathogenic. They cause rare and sporadic uh, outbreaks such as H9N2, uh, which generally cause a mild kind of respiratory tract illness. Um, and therefore, we're going to focus on the H5s and the H7s, which are uh, the ones that cause really high mortality in people. So this is a lot of letters and numbers. I know this is like an alphabet soup. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we're trying to like break the enigma right now. Um, we're we're diving in. But I mean, so one of the things too that like, so Brett, what, would you know? I mean, I remember back in the day when we saw all the dead crows and everything, we're talking about mostly low pathogenic right now, but those ones that were killing all the birds, that would be more a high pathogenic, correct? Because it like it's killing them as well. Okay. Alrighty. And so it's uncommon in humans right now, so nothing to worry about yet being the key word. Uh, but I thought the uh, the bird flu cometh based on the episode. Yeah. Yeah. So why am I still so afraid of this? Why are, are a lot of people afraid of this? Uh, well, in case it hasn't been confusing yet, we're going to have to go shifting and drifting and we're going to talk about basically how these flu viruses change. How did we get to so many different subtypes? Why are there H's and N's and A's and B's and C's uh, where we're going to have to go shifting and drifting. Fast and the feathery. uh, (laughs) Yeah. I guess fast and the furious. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That would be like when they finally run out of stuff to like make those movies about. Nine. Haven't they made like, aren't there like 10 subtypes? There's nine subtypes of uh, Fast and the Furious. Yeah, there's 10 different subtypes of Vin Diesel saying, uh, I want to go fast. And isn't one like called Tokyo Drift or something like that? Yeah, it's called Tokyo Drift. And that one, they act like it never happened. That one is uh, famously with Lil Bow Wow. Okay. Um, You know, it's a a banger, you know, go check it out. What this episode's trying to get you to do is go check out yeah, Tokyo yeah. Drift, um, brought to you by uh, <laughs> yeah, brought to you by Sony really, Pictures. Yeah, this, is, <laughs> this is really uh, like that message. <laughs> so you think Lil Bow Wow would be like up for uh, rehashing his role in uh, Fast and the Furious Ten, and it could be like avian uh, oh, influenza yeah, shifting definitely. and drifting, and really yeah. just have like nothing to do oh, with cars. One hundred percent. I don't know the like last time I heard. Li- we are the first people to shout out Lil Bow Wow in about nine years, so I think that he would be down. <laughs> 
Is he still Lil? <laughs> I think Did he grow up? Yeah, I think he Is became he Bow Wow. I think he dropped the Lil, which, you know, I understand. Oh. As somebody who uh, grew up as Lil. Little Andy, because my dad was, like, larger Andy, yeah. uh, I dropped that subtitle a while ago. Yeah. So, I get it. Bow Wow, I get it. Okay. Yeah, because at some point, yeah, like, the, the little thing. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's a tangent. That's a shifting and drifting off off course uh, on this subject because this is not a podcast about uh, Lil Bow Wow, uh, but we are going to go shifting and drifting, as I say. So the type A viruses that we've been talking about so far are highly subject to random mutation and evolution, and they are primarily changed by two different mechanisms known as antigenic drifting or antigenic drift, and antigenic shift. So when I uh, offer that kind of clumsy analogy that virus replication is a lot like just making a like a crap ton of copies at the copy machine, and you know it's a it's a little clunker and it makes a lot of noise and sometimes it causes smudges and stuff. The more times you copy a document, the chances that you're going to get a crap copy somewhere in there, um, you know, goes up. So uh, that's essentially what we're talking about now. Like, how did we get to the point where we have all these different subtypes, all these different varieties, and why is this something that we are still so concerned about? So antigenic shifting is one way, uh, or sorry, I should start with antigenic drifting, I think. Yeah, Mm. let's drift first. So antigenic drifting. These are when a bunch of small little changes, small mutations, like maybe in the copying analogy, you just have like a, you know, a smudged letter, but you can still read it. Or maybe like, you know, a period gets replaced with a comma or something, but it's basically still the same document. It's just a small change. Um, This is known as antigenic drift. And this is where the genes of the virus uh, basically lead to these small, subtle changes in these surface proteins those H's and N's, and that these small little changes kind of gradually happen over time. And they gradually accumulate the more that the virus replicates. And antigenic drift is basically why you can get the flu more than once uh, during a flu season or more than one at a time. It's also why the flu vaccine must be reviewed and updated every year to keep up with the constantly evolving Mm -hmm. flu viruses. So you always have to go in to get another flu shot, and it's because the virus has been mutating and evolving and changing ever so slightly, but all these little changes build up over time, and by the time it gets to you the next year, it's a different-looking virus, so your immune system won't recognize it. So that is the drift. The antigenic trip. Sorry, Lil Bow Wow. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, so, and if you want to check out, uh, you know, talk more about uh, the flu and what goes into all that, go check out our old episode, Tis the Season for Twindemics, where we kind of break down exactly why the flu season does what it does Ooh. and how they actually make the flu vaccine, because I had no idea how they did that until Brett got me diving into rabbit holes and yeah. coming out with you know, crazy things from Australia. So go check that out. Yeah. They catch birds and <laughs> yeah, nets. It's, it's on really balloons. weird. So go it's check crazy. out that episode. <laughs> so the, uh, the other, I guess we will call this a prequel or something. <laughs> starting little Bow Wow or now with just yeah. Bow Wow, the, the grown up Bow Wow, uh, is called antigenic shift. Mm. So antigenic shift 
is uh, basically when there's an abrupt major change in the influenza A virus, which results in a completely new H or N protein combination that it also would affect humans. Okay. And so this shift can result in a brand new influenza A subtype in humans. So all those different H's and N's, H1, N1, H5, N8, whatever, are all examples of antigenic shift events where a new thing has been spit out. Okay. So we're, we're seeing the variants right now in COVID. You're seeing drift. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Like it's more of a drift effect right now, but if it actually changed like the surface proteins and all of that, that would be a yeah. shift, like a total shift. Yeah. So that's like what we're waiting for is to see if there will be a shift in the virus that it will evolve enough. It'll be a, an abrupt or major enough change where basically our vaccination that we got becomes obsolete. And we're back to square we'll one. We'll have to get a you know, a new one, because basically that little virus that we're also used to seeing now, that little COVID virus, with the little red spikes, uh, those little red spikes maybe change shape or they look a little different, uh, different enough to where they won't be recognized uh, anymore. So that is a shift. And that happens with flu uh, fairly frequently. And this is when we're starting to talk about pandemic potential. Because when you have a brand new type of virus, we've seen what that does, right? We've all seen it, COVID (laughs) and also others, (laughs) HIV. Yeah, anyway. Uh, So one way that a shift can happen is when an influenza virus from an animal gains the ability to infect humans. Okay. So we know that, you know, birds are off spreading, um, you know, influenza viruses between each other. Sometimes it gets them sick, sometimes not. Uh, But they just go around in birds. Every now and again, the virus makes that jump. Makes that leap of faith into humans, and that little virus changes shape just enough to be able to infect a bird cell, but then also a human cell, which is exciting. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, these animal origin viruses can contain H and N combinations that are so different uh, from the same subtype in humans that most people will not have any kind of immunity to it. And it's a, you know, it's a new virus. That's why uh, COVID was able to spread so quickly is because we just, it was new. We hadn't seen it before in people. So like our immune system had like no idea what it was seeing. And that's why it was able to spread so much. So that would happen when an influenza virus uh, basically undergoes an antigenic shift. It just is so new that we don't know what to do with it. Uh, The most, I think, recent example of memory that most people can remember, uh, if you're not 10, but if you are 10 and you're listening to this podcast, uh, good on you. Yeah, right on. So uh, this kind of shift event occurred in the spring of 2009, Think back to where you were the spring of 2009 when you first heard the word swine flu. When H1N1 uh, genes from North American swine, Eurasian swine, and humans plus birds emerged to affect, infect people, and that quickly spread and caused a pandemic. The 2009 H1N1 pandemic was an example of an antigenic shift. Talk about your viral soup on that one. Yeah, American swine, Eurasian swine, I'm not sure how those are different, humans and birds. So it was like a little animal party, like a animal like crackers, animal farm going on there. Flu. 
Yeah. So the influenza A viruses are constantly changing. This makes it possible uh, on rare occasions for non-human viruses to change in such a way that they can now affect people and potentially spread from person to person. And this is when influenza pandemics occur, although they occur relatively rarely. We're most likely to see those tiny little mutations build up over time, uh, but not enough to cause like a brand new thing. And uh, when that does happen, we get a pandemic. But so far, these dreaded avian influenza bird flu viruses um, that we've been talking about, the H5s and the H7s and such, sometimes they get into people, but then again, they they don't really go anywhere from there. And uh, we're lucky so far. Okay. All right. Do you feel lucky? Uh, I do. I do. I feel lucky. Uh, I didn't feel lucky before because I didn't know. And now I know. And now I'm like, hey, we're pretty... Mm-hmm. Pretty lucky, but I feel like you're going to tell us how unlucky we're, we're about to be, or maybe historically we have been. Yeah. So, yeah, we can look to the past to say, well, what are the chances of this happening? Uh, there have actually just been four influenza pandemics in the past 100 years. So there was the 1918 H1N1 pandemic, and you can go listen to our two-parter to find out more about that one. Ooh. That was the, uh, you know, the Spanish flu, the mother of all flus, all that mm-hmm. kind of good stuff. There was the 1957 to 1958 pandemic. This was an H2N2 virus. This was reported first in Singapore, and it resulted in an estimated 1.1 million deaths worldwide, including over 116,000 in the United States. And I'm not sure a lot of people like remember that one, to be honest. I didn't know it. There was also the 1968 pandemic, which was an H3N2 virus. This was first recognized in the United States. So this was a, an America virus. America, homegrown. Uh, America, this was a homegrown virus, America virus. It resulted in the estimated deaths of over 100 million people worldwide and about 100,000 in the U.S. Most of these excess deaths occurred in people 65 years and older and actually continues to circulate today. So there you go. Wow. Yeah. But now we have the immunity to it. Like we have, we a lot more people have been exposed to it, correct? That's why we don't see this as like a... Well, if you, yeah, if you were alive and you were infected and survived in 1968, uh, then uh, yeah, you're, you know, probably less likely to get it. And then uh, the aforementioned 2009 H1N1 pandemic, the quote unquote swine flu, this was interesting because a few young people had any existing immunity... Uh, to this virus, but nearly one third of people over the age of 60 had old antibodies. So this was something that uh, a virus that resembled the 2009 H1N1 uh, virus was around for older people. And so they were like primed a little bit, but it changed enough to be like a new thing. But young people that were not alive 60 years ago had no existing immunity to it. So it was able to spread and infect them more. And between April 2009 and April 2010, there were an estimated 60.8 million cases, 274,000 hospitalizations, and 12,000 plus deaths in the United States alone. It also is thought to have killed between 50 and 575,000 people worldwide during just the first year. So not COVID numbers, but, you know, still, still it's not It's always great. crazy to me to see the estimated numbers because if I feel like if I try to do my taxes the way that epidemiologists have to throw out those numbers for populations that died, I'd be screwed. 
But they could say like it could mm-hmm. have been fifty or it could have been three million people who have died. Yeah. They just like exactly. like it's just this range that's ongoing. Yeah. They could just say pie. So when you're doing your taxes, like I made anywhere from five dollars to five hundred thousand. <laughs> exactly. But but epidemiologists are like, yeah, no, no, that checks out. And they're all just like nodding in unison yeah. because obviously you can't account for a lot of the deaths, like if you're not, you know. W- countries that aren't actually yeah, looking it for it. A lot go undetected. Yeah. yeah. We've seen that with COVID, right? People get misdiagnosed or not diagnosed or whatever. So you got to like, you know, extrapolate and interpolate and all that kind of stuff. And you come up with these estimates that have, you know, ranges. And the more uncertain you are, the larger those ranges are. Yeah. Uh, confidence intervals. Well, I think the most intense part about like doing some research and going through all of this was fine. Like thinking back to how many people I know probably who don't even remember the H1N1, like in the swine flu and all of that. Mm -hmm. Cause the other day uh, I had my first show in a while and one of my friends was asking me like, Oh, like, you know, are you excited? Blah, blah. blah. And I was like, yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be a good time. Uh, and it was a great show. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Seth Kelly who put it on and Dan from the amazing comedy theater in Huntington beach. Go check it out. It's awesome. Uh, but, um, the, my coworker was like, whatever you do, don't talk about the pandemic. Uh, and we had, we, California had gotten the mask order removed that morning. Like how quickly people just want to move on from things. And like, you think like we, like that, that old saying is like, if you don't learn from, you know, the past, you're, you're doomed to repeat it. So like, it totally makes sense mm-hmm. now how in 1918, we had the same problems that we have now. And that way prior to that, we had these same pandemics and it just keeps happening because mm-hmm. already Americans are like, ah, you know, like. You know, millions of people have been affected and died, and they're and you're like, shouldn't we care about that? And they're like, ah, nah, screw them. <laughs> like, let's just, yeah. let's, we're over. Yeah, it. Let's get back to concerts. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, let's let's get back to concerts. It's cool. Yeah, it's over. It's yeah, we've decided it's not a thing anymore. So it's <laughs> so, it's, so get yeah, over it and uh, don't talk about it. So yeah, that was just that's mm-hmm. pretty intense to me because like that's what I see when I see all of these numbers and the years that all these things have happened, I'm like, man, we are like headed straight for Mm -hmm. another issue. And it's just going to be, I feel like they're going to be coming fast and furious now where like before there were larger gaps in these breakthroughs or these epidemics and pandemics. And now I feel like we're just Mm -hmm. rolling because we are not learning a single thing. Yeah. Well, exactly. That's one of the points is like these uh, historical events we talked about before in the last hundred years, uh, well, these little spillover events are happening more frequently and more often because the world is changing faster than it ever has before. Mm. Fast and furious, shifting and drifting, mm. H's and N's, <laughs> <laughs> A, B, C, D. Uh. Uh, so the, the next potential pandemic, the next, you know, number five, we just talked about the last four, uh, whether this occurs now, like like next week or next year or whatever, all depends on whether the virus can make that zoonotic jump, whether it can break through that species barrier and infect a human cell. Yeah. And then it's got to be able to, uh, again, go from person to person by coughing and sneezing and, and all that kind of okay, stuff. Okay, so do you think there's going to be like a 2022 H blank, N blank virus going around? Or like, what do you, I mean- if you had to put your money, all of your yeah. hard-earned money that you have saved up, the millions yeah. you have in Swiss bank accounts, uh, all of my <laughs> dozens and dozens of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I would bet that, yeah, we will see maybe not a pandemic, but we will see a new subtype that has jumped from an animal to a person uh, because it's happening right now. Uh, we talked about uh, Russia and China are experiencing some new little spillover events. And so this kind of thing happens and it happens when people come into contact with like wild birds mm-hmm. uh, or or uh, birds in farms. So they get it directly from birds or through like an in-between, inter- intermediate host, like a pig. So COVID may have come straight from a bat, but it most likely uh, stopped off along the way, hung out in a pangolin and uh, kept evolving, kept mutating and then made its way to a human. So same thing with uh, flu viruses. They start from a bird. Sometimes they go from the bird to the human. Sometimes they go from bird to another animal to a human. And those are basically how the virus gets get into people. Okay. So the, uh, the fact that they can potentially mix in different animals, like the influenza A virus uh, that come from basically different species, and they can mix and create new viruses uh, and if influenza A viruses from two different species infect the same person or animal, bada bing, bada boom, you have like a little, uh, like a, a virus protein smoothie okay. or shake. So for example, if a pig were infected with a human influenza A virus and an avian influenza A virus at the same time, the new replicating viruses could mix existing genetic information. This is called resortment y'all and it could produce a new influenza a virus that had most of the genes from the human and a little bit of genes sprinkled in from the avian virus and this resulting new virus then might be able to spread easily from person to person so it's because the viruses basically went into this little mixing pot that was another animal and uh what resulted the little weird hybrid thing that jumped out uh, maybe it came in not being able to be uh, transmitted from person to person, but because it was able to mix around and change enough, then it is. So that's what we're looking out for. Okay. Well, that's terrifying. Uh, so, so all the outbreaks so far have been reported in poultry farms and wild flocks of birds across Europe, Africa, and Asia in recent years. So that's a bad sign. So like, why aren't we like immediately like, we're done with poultry farms. We're done with pig farms. Like, why are we like... What's going on? Like, that, that can't mm-hmm. be good. Yeah. So everything that I've read, everything that I've heard, all from the experts, quote unquote experts, uh, the common sentiment is that the global spread of bird flu and the number of viral strains currently circulating and causing infections have reached what they consider to be an unprecedented level. And that this, of course, raises the risk of a potential human outbreak. Because just the sheer number of different types and their presence across so many different parts of the world at the same time increases the risk that the virus will mix with other animals, uh, will mutate, and will possibly make their way from animal to person. Yeah. And the greatest fear is that there will be a deadly strain of avian flu that could mutate into a pandemic form that could be passed easily between people. This is something that has not really been seen yet. And this is something that uh, separates us from a potentially catastrophic pandemic. Well, and I mean, you got to think it's got to be a little bit more dangerous than some of the other outbreaks with like the pangolins and things like that. 
uh, you know, as far yeah. as like direct contact with humans, because birds do that whole thing where they fly around the world. So like, yeah. they can just yeah. kind of leave. <laughs> like, it's not going to be like, hey, death from above. Yeah, it's like, it's yeah. not like, hey, birds, stay right there. We're going to test you. They're like, nah, I'm going south. <laughs> like, they're, yeah. they're not exactly known for staying in one place. Well, that's why we're like, we're not talking about horse flu, right? It's it's bird yeah. flu. And it, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It's because there are like these mobile highly mobile little viral shedding uh vessels which is the same thing with bats like that's guy i mean you know they could just move from place to place they can keep moving along but birds even more so Mm -hmm. so andy here food for thought and a question i should have asked brett during the episode but it escaped me and now that i'm editing it's stuck in my head do you think if people could fly we'd have more diseases like how bats and birds do is there something to that if you fly so when people ask like what superpower you'd want. I'd always choose like fast or like invisible because like fly. No, I don't want to be like the creator of H nine seventeen, H N 12. You get the idea. I mean, but do we know why, like why this is like, why have we not seen the mutations that we were expecting yet? Uh, so I, I think we have just been, uh, lucky so far because I think that all the, uh, pressures that we see now in terms of like the number of factory farms, the number of like uh, situations where humans and wildlife are living closer together, like that is all increasing and becoming like higher than it's ever been in history. So um, the reason why people think that there are so many new viruses like potentially floating around out there, like why is it so prevalent now? Why is now like the point in time in history where we're at most risk of this than we have ever before, uh, we don't really know why. And the exact reasons for the unusually large number and the sustained nature of these bird-human outbreaks in recent months and the basically just proliferation of different strains uh, isn't really clear. Okay. But bird flu is usually spread through flocks, flocks of seagulls, maybe, (laughs) uh, through direct contact with an infected bird. But wild birds could be shedding more of the virus in their droppings and other secretions, which increase risk. So uh, we may be seeing situations we talked about, like with the bat, when bats get more stressed, they basically uh, shat themselves more. And the same thing could be true with birds. And humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You got that big meeting coming up. You know, where's the bathroom? So also, uh, there now appears to be this aerosol transmission from one infected barn to another, and in some cases, many miles away. So we're, we're seeing that not only can the virus be, be shed or spread from, you know, birds flying around, flocks of birds, but barn to barn could potentially be happening. And that suggests that the, the virus is becoming aerosolized and is able to basically go from one barn to another. And what this kind of amounts to is now you've got more exposures. Uh, There are more farms and there are basically uh, greater numbers of potential exposure points in more parts of the world than there ever have before. So overall, there's an increased risk of spillover uh, to uh, humans. So basically, uh, all the like things that increase our risk for coming into contact with an infected bird, like are now greater than they have ever been before. 
Okay. But we don't know the exact reason. But, I mean, I don't know if I believe any of that, though, because we all know birds aren't... You're skeptical. Birds aren't real. So, I mean... That's controversial. Nope, I think it's real. <laughs> I went down some rabbit holes, and I think maybe birds okay. aren't real. So, I mean... First off, so here are the conspiracy theories that made this uh, viral soup of birds aren't real possible. So A, Mm -hmm. the CIA assassinated JFK after he refused to kill and replace billions of birds with drones, which we all know to be factual. We all know Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, we know that. The U.S. government is sequestering a team of Boeing engineers in Area 51 for a secret military mission. Tell me something I don't know. Yeah, tell me Boeing doesn't know a few things about how things fly, huh? Hmm? Hmm? I thought it was Lockheed Martin, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, and also, our tax dollars have been funneled into building the Turkey X-500, a robot used to hunt large birds. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, I mean... That's a lame name. Yeah. The Turkey X-500. Yeah, it sounds like, like something like, like you make for like a, a child's toy, but like your your father like makes it up. Like they can't afford to buy you the toy. So they make like a like a, shot, a shoddy toy, you know, out of like twigs and like oh. sticks. And he's like, oh, look, like- the X-500. <laughs> and they're just like, cool. It's a turkey. Awesome. Great. I was kind of thinking, you know, those like uh, the Duck Dynasty guys, oh, yeah. how they were able, like they all became millionaires because they invented those little like bird kazoos yeah. or whatever they were, like called birds. <laughs> I like, really hope it reminds that. me of one of those, like the newest iteration, the new version. We've got the new the new version of our little bird kazoo. Oh man, Turkey X five hundred. I would really love to see their faces if like you walked up to them one day and were like, "Hey, are you guys the made the like the bird kazoo?" <laughs> Just are you guys uh, that got rich off those bird kazoos? Well, I got an idea for you. It's the Turkey X five hundred. Like, have you guys ever thought of a vavuzula for your for your for your bird calls? Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, but this movement is real. This is a real thing. People all over yeah. the world believe that birds aren't real. You may have seen some drawings and some some breakdowns of how uh, they kind of take the uh, the face off a, a pigeon and show that it is mechanical. Um, there's those shirts out there. It's pretty big. But the movement was founded mm-hmm. uh, by a student of the University of Memphis, Peter McIndoe, which really just, I can't say it without wanting to say McIndoe. <laughs> Oh, I feel like he's he's cheating here. McEnroe. But uh, yeah. the Instagram has fifty thousand followers, and uh, and Twitter has eighty five hundred followers, and so it's like a pretty big deal. Wow. Like people actually are following this, and uh, and McIndoe says that he didn't just do it as a merch cash grab. Uh, he says he has more ethics than that. Uh, but you know, if you want to go check out our merch store, go right ahead. Um, but mm, support the podcast and look good doing it. But what's crazy is it, it like it uh it started as like a joke, like as a dark joke, kind of like to prey on like the meme culture of mm-hmm. everything that is now um, when people are outraged. And then Peter Magendo actually did a thirty minute interview with the Audubon Society and, and did not break character, saying how birds aren't real, and went through didactically several species of birds and the lack thereof interaction with humans and why they're probably actually robots. <laughs> Uh, so kudos wow. to him on that because wow. uh, that's pretty pretty bold, um, and it's like again it sprung up similar to like what QAnon did, where it was a quick like hey let's throw together some memes mm. and stuff that like tell you something, uh, but it was really just 
like now it's kind of fizzles into like just hipsters buying cool merch that's ironic um you know mm. and like again like most supporters like are just doing it ironically they're not trying to like overthrow the government because pigeons are hiding children in basements of pizzerias or anything like that they're just wearing silly shirts and putting up some uh some like it's almost like a like what is it harper ferry or <clears throat> shepherd ferry <clears throat> who uh who put up all the tags of like Obama and stuff, and he did like the obey and all of that. That's pretty uh, much yeah. what uh, birds aren't real are, except um, they're not real. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know that there's like a they have a billboard, yeah. like a bit that just say birds aren't yeah. real, which is a powerful, yeah, powerful uh, bit of evidence. Imagine seeing that oh, as yeah. like a kid though, like you're in the back of your parents' like van or whatever, and you're just driving by a giant billboard that says birds aren't real. Um, imagine like like the, wow. the parent trying to have that, that conversation, conversation where they're yeah. just like ah yeah you know what they're not <laughs> mommy you lied to me mommy <laughs> they're just they're just not <laughs> you said that birds are mm-hmm. real but well okay so birds aren't real pigeons are liars mm-hmm. uh, and everything we've been talking about so far is um, is bullshit okay so I mean let's get into it so more exposure to birds yeah. equals more risk so that's kind of what we're dealing with. Uh, but assuming that birds mm-hmm. are real, how many birds would... <laughs> We're just going to go there and make that big assumption. So, Brett... Uh, yeah, assuming they yeah, are Yeah, I mean, now that I know you're kind of a birder, you're, uh, you know, an honorary yeah. ornithologist here, uh, what... Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, how many birds do you think there are, like, in, in the world? Like, what's going on? Like, what's the bird count up yeah. to? Uh, so, I actually have an answer for this. <laughs> uh, researchers have been able to put a figure for the first time on how many wild birds are currently inhabiting the planet of Earth right now. Uh, so, what do you think? Ah, uh, God. What's your guess? It's, bil- it's definitely billions. I don't know. I mean, there's yeah. billions of us, so there's got to be way more birds than us. That's true. So, I don't know. So, mo- greater than... Less... Le- greater than 10 million, uh, something yeah, like that. Yeah, greater than, greater than, like, greater than 5 billion, but less than a trillion. That's, uh... See, see what I did there? That uh-huh, was, that was you being... You did a public health, yeah. uh, confidence mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure nice. it's under a trillion, because I don't think there's that many birds, but I'm not sure how many billion. So, I'm just gonna say, ballpark, billion to a trillion. <laughs> well, you're right. <laughs> uh, the official tally is about 50 billion. So, you got it. You guessed it. And I also love, that's, like, that's this great. is another, again, another one of those things where, like, 50 billion, who's counting the birds? And are the birds all just staying still? Again, they do that whole flappity-flap thing, and they take off. Like, and they also, by the oh, way, yeah. they live in trees. So, like, I mean, how can mm-hmm. you account for, like, ugh, it's just hilarious to me. Like, you're sitting out there counting. Yeah, like, you know how you've ever, if you've ever tried to, like, count something and, like, uh, you're trying to remember how many you've counted and then someone else starts to, like just blurting out random numbers and you totally lose your place and forget like where yeah. you are. Uh, I kind of picture that like counting yeah. birds where it's like, okay, one pigeon, two pigeon, three, p- wait, two pigeon, you, I already counted you, go away. <laughs> uh, oh shit, where am I? Yeah. All right. Okay, one pigeon, two pigeon. And I also feel like I figured out why there are those people in the park who are feeding birds. Those are just epidemiologists who are doing counts. They're just trying to get all the pigeons to get oh. together. And as long as they have, you know, yeah. all the all the crumbs, they're going to come to them. So, hey, you know, birds wow. might be real, but there's epidemiologists all around us is what I'm trying to tell you. All the people who look like transient people, those are epidemiologists. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. The more disheveled and the more uh, unscrupulous looking, 
the more chances are that they have a PhD in epidemiology. Mm-hmm. Uh, the official tally is about 50 billion, which, like you said, makes it uh, more makes them more prevalent than there are humans on the planet. So there's thought to be six times as many birds uh, as there are humans. And if we're talking about a, a you know group of viruses that come from birds, that that's a lot of potential exposure points. Assuming that these viruses can spread from bird to bird, uh, so not only are they flying around, flippy flappy flying around, there's 50 billion of them, give or take, <laughs> and that covers a total of, if I'm doing the math right, 9,700 different bird species. Uh, 92% of those are alive today, so we've we've lost some, but uh, this includes everything from the avocet to the zebra finch and everything in between so these are all um bad guys they're all they're all not real right so <laughs> r.i.p to the uh, blue-footed yeah. booby that died uh, a few years mm-hmm. back you know just really thinking about that sounds like what alfred hitchcock was trying to put together in the birds like that's what it looks like yeah. is that there's that many birds there but uh yeah that would have been a scary movie yeah. if like the birds were secreting viruses that killed you in horrible ways, but they were just birds. <laughs> like they weren't birds with special powers. They weren't birds like spewing, you know, acid. They were just birds. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of them, and they were pissed. But like, you, couldn't you have just like gotten in your car and driven somewhere no, where there I were don't know not if you, birds? Did you see it? The lady, there's a if you, yeah. the lady in the uh, the telephone booth who's in there, and after a while, the birds on the strings just get into the telephone booth. She had no shot. You know, they they have no. No regard for their beaks yeah. and bills. They're just going in. They're like, listen, if enough of us yeah. break this glass, you know, to kill this lady, even though we eat small bugs and, in, you know, insects, we're going to get this lady. Yeah, but but still, like, all they were doing is running from one building that had birds in it <laughs> to, to another. Mm. Like, go get in your car and drive, like, to the next town over that doesn't have a bunch of, like, murderous birds. Hey, me again. I implore you. If you want a good laugh, if you want to have a good day and look at something ridiculous and you've never seen Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, you don't have to watch the whole thing, but please, please go on YouTube and look up the gas station scene. I promise you'll thank me later. Yeah, I mean, but you, got, you got to give yourself credit for the fact that you just watched A Quiet Place too. So, like, you're on it right now. You're in survival mode. Oh, hell yeah. So, I mean, with yeah. that, with, with there being 50 billion birds, uh, what's the bird flu situation? What are our chances of society crumbling to its mm-hmm. knees because one of these birds met up with the wrong person? Exactly. Or pig. So let's start with the H5s, obviously. Mm-hmm. So we're not going <laughs> to go through all of them. Oh, God, no. Mm-hmm. But the H5s are worth our consideration. And according to Michael Osterholm, who is a big muckety-muck infectious disease person, he says, quote, what we're learning about H5 is that whether it's H5N6, H5N8, H5N2, or even that pesky little H5N5, I inserted the pesky, (laughs) uh, this is a very dangerous bird virus. So the H5 variety, whether it's H5N6, N8, whatever. Uh, These are what concern top infectious disease people Uh, because the H5 viruses have this weird biological cork to them. They are able to infect a wide variety of birds. 
So a bunch of different types, not just domestic poultry, but also things like ducks, migratory birds, and some types of geese. So uh, that makes them a, a worthy and potentially dangerous foe. And the wild birds are thought to have moved the virus over vast swaths of the globe and contribute and t- continue to contribute to their evolution. So this is a, a group of viruses that are not picky about the type of birds that they infect. And that means more birds, more different types of birds, longer or, or more widespread geographic uh, footprint. Okay. So you're like, I would want to know having kind of gone all gone through all this, there's all these potentially different types, uh, almost 200 different potential varieties. Um, we're, we've just gotten through saying that H fives are, you know, kind of some of the ones to, to watch out for. Um, What's interesting and what I would want to know is like, do we have some kind of ranking system that actually ranks like, you know, should we be more afraid of H1N1 than H5N8? Mm-hmm. Or what about H5N5? Where should we like put that on the worry scale? Well, uh, the CDC has a has our back, has got, got it covered. And they came up with a summary of influenza risk assessment tool, the IRAT. <laughs> and this is an evaluation tool developed by the CDC and a smattering of external influenza experts. And this document assesses the potential pandemic risk posed by influenza A viruses that currently circulate in animals, but not yet in humans. And the IRAT assesses the potential pandemic risk based on two scenarios, the likelihood that it will emerge in people and the potential public health impact if it were to emerge and spread from person to person. So is this going to like be a contagion style like society crumbler or is this going to be like a you know less than a swine flu kind of situation? Okay. Makes sense. Seems like something we needed. Yep. So, yeah, exactly. Uh I hope you all put this on your refrigerator now <laughs> because uh I don't know. Uh so the IRAT basically takes all of these different varieties that we know could potentially affect humans and they look at all these different elements about them and they group them into uh, this, this order based on their basically emergence potential and impact potential. And they rank them based on, you know, the different genetic properties of the virus, uh, the different uh, attributes of the population. So like how immune or not immune are we to that strain? Uh, the potential severity and pathogenesis of it, the antigenic relatedness. So how different are they? Um, and various other kind of, um, you know, metrics. And what they come up with is basically two different scenarios. One is what is the risk that a novel virus has the potential for sustained human-to-human transmission? So that's the big one. That's the one we have lucked out so far Mm -hmm. that they really have not gained this ability yet. So what is the chance that this new virus is going to be able to spread from person to person? And if it was able to, if it gained that ability to spread from person to person, what's the risk that this thing is going to be a horror show and have a huge impact on public health? So those are the two things that they're looking for. Okay. So are, are, do you want me to do you want me to tell you? Yeah. What yeah. They are? Let me let, okay. let me have it. Okay. So uh, the 
strain with the highest emergence score, meaning the one most likely to basically uh, spill over into people and start spreading around, the H1N1 Eurasian avian-like swine influenza A virus. That's the one we already have, right? That's like a that's <laughs> the one we already got. Well, so th- this is a this is like a new variety, oh. and they you know they further categorize this stuff by like where they came where they come from, and you know all this stuff that I really wanted to spare, like not only okay. our our dear listeners, but also ourselves. This is like from, this from is like the, the Lay's like potato chip testing where like the new ones come out every once in a while and some of them stick and mm-hmm. then the other ones are like terrible and you're like, I never need to see that one again. And then occasionally, you know, they exactly. come out with like like a hot Cheetos flavor and you're like, God damn it, you nailed it. You know, and it just sticks around mm-hmm. for a while. But, you know, it murders people instead. Mm-hmm. Mm. So uh, the uh, influenza A H1N1 from Shan... Shandong 2016 has the highest emergence score, followed by the H3N2 variant and the H7N9 from Hong Kong. Okay. Now, the the strains or the uh, the types of bird flu that are most likely to bring society to its crumbling knees, H7N9. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That one's a big, Didn't see it's that a big coming. one, big deal, H7N9. So the H7N9 has the highest potential impact score and also amongst the highest emergence scores. So if you want to play, uh, you know, bird flu bingo, or if you want to play um, the guessing game, what the consensus is, is that the next big one, the next one that's really going to like, you know, grind our gears, probably going to be a little H7N9. Okay, so next time you guys are sitting down for pub trivia and they're like, oh, by the way, yeah. uh, this next category is infectious disease because that always comes up uh, at your lo- local <laughs> Bennigan's. Yeah. Uh, and then you're sitting there and you're like, ooh, 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 I know. It's avian H7N9. You're going to be the only one with the correct answer. Hey, I literally was at a pub trivia once and it was there was an entire round on Ebola. So you just, but listen, I, I feel happen. like it was your birthday and somebody tipped them off and gave them the category. I feel like this was, or was this, oh, it no. was an epidemiology w- get together. It was a, it was like a first date too. Ooh. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to totally like, I'm just going to totally impress. Right. And I, I did really well in that category, but um, it, it didn't work no, out. No, You're, pop culture because apparently, yeah, girls aren't like that impressed by like knowing a shitload about Ebola. Yeah, the next the next so, one on uh, pop yeah. culture and the Golden Girls, you were like crap, and uh, just didn't yeah. anything that like a normal person would be into or like know about. I'll, I don't know, but oh, I guess like watching someone get super excited about an Ebola like question round is maybe kind of a hey. You know, I just think it wasn't, she wasn't the one, you know, she clearly, if she can't hang with Ebola, then, you know, get the heck out, you know? (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, yeah, but you just, that could, that could be something. Uh, so let's, let's round it out. Let's end it up by kind of doing a rundown of the, uh, viral load, most likely candidates for, uh, society crumbling horror show. Mm -hmm. And let's start with the H5s. Okay. These are the most famous. Uh, this is the this is the one that people call, quote unquote, the bird flu. This is the most notorious. 
is the H5N1. And this is the especially notorious strain that has a mortality rate hovering around 60% and has resulted in numerous hospitalizations, deaths, and significant economic losses. Because one thing we've kind of skated over is whenever there is a commercial poultry farm outbreak, when they suspect that a flu virus is spreading around, they have to go call all those birds, like millions of birds, uh, all down the, the, the drain because they, they want to stop this because this is how serious this is. And that obviously is a big economic impact and also sad. Mm-hmm. So the bird flu, aka bird flu, is primarily a disease of birds that is caused by several types of influenza viruses, this highly pathogenic type. The highly pathogenic avian influenza virus is highly contagious that affects not only wild birds and poultry, but occasionally people. And all human, all known human cases have coincided with outbreaks in poultry. So like, you know, factory farms, people that are in close contact with like chickens and ducks and stuff like that. So the H5N1 virus first made it into people. Uh, the first documented case was Hong Kong, 1997. It then reemerged in 2003, spreading from Asia to Europe and then Africa, causing hundreds of infections and deaths in people and prompting the culling of hundreds of millions of poultry birds. What a waste. So since it was first reported in Vietnam in 2003, the, or, or since it was reported in Vietnam in 2003, the disease has been responsible for human outbreaks and deaths in 15 countries across Asia, Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. 603 known human cases and 356 of those were deaths. Ooh. So a very high case mortality yeah, rate. Uh, greater than 50%? Makes, makes COVID look like a walk in the park. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. So H5N1 is obviously, uh, it's scary. It is under close surveillance by health authorities from around the world and has long been considered the one to watch. Feared by infectious disease experts because of its pandemic potential. And if it were to mutate and acquire human-to-human transmission capability would be truly a horror show. It would only take a few mu- a few mutations before H5N1 would gain the ability to spread from person to person. And that's what's scary. So we know that it can get into people. We know that it can go from birds to people and be super deadly when it, that happens. Uh, and it, we think that it's only going to take a little bit of tweaking for it to gain the ability to spread easily from person to person. And according to Ian McKay, a virologist at Australia's University of Queensland, influenza is a very tough beast because it changes all the time. So the ones we're tracking may not include one that suddenly emerges and takes hold. It's all over, people. We don't have a prayer. Ah. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) he's just being chased by a bunch of birds. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, so when I say that it's very close to being tweaked to be able to spread from person to person, and I don't know if this is just, again, in my dark, sad world, but this was like a big news story. And I wonder if this was like something that was even on the radar of, of a normie mm. or, or a normal <laughs> non-epi person. Yeah. So this was the H5N1 controversy that happened a, f- a few years ago. And I'll, I'll give you a quick summary and I'll see if this uh, this rings a bell for you. So this was uh, a controversy that focused on the laboratory manipulation and adaptation of the H5N1 
influenza virus. Specifically, uh, there were a few studies that were um, being conducted looking at whether uh, it was possible to make this virus move from mammal to mammal more easily by respiratory transmission. And what resulted was a big kind of scientific controversy, nerd battle, I don't know, where the National Science Advisory Board for Biosecurity, or NSAB, uh, was basically called an alarm, put the, you know, wanted to pump the brakes on this, and were like, hey, this is a potential threat to national security and public health. You guys need to stop doing your research, not publish your findings, and redact your key manuscript details so that we can basically prevent these studies from falling into the wrong hands or making it to people with nefarious intent. Okay. So essentially these groups of researchers, these virologists were looking at, well, how could we tweak H5N1? Like what are those mutations, those few mutations that need to happen for it to go from person to person more easily? Like, what would that look like? So they basically sped that process up in the lab and they basically connected the dots and came up with a respiratory, res- like a recipe guide for creating an H5N1 virus that could spread from person to person. Yeah, not good. And this freaked everybody out. Yeah. So obviously concerns arose from these studies and that the adaptation of a highly pathogenic avian influenza A, H5N1 virus, that was able to infect mammalian hosts. In this case, uh, they infect little ferrets in the lab. Mm. When they want to study flu and how flu spreads, they infect ferrets because apparently they have very similar like respiratory systems or situations than we do. So uh, there's another uh, trivia question for everyone. Uh, Ferrets. Ferrets. Just say ferrets. Got it. When in so, doubt, ferret out. Uh, yeah, so they basically created these little, these highly pathogenic bird flu viruses that could spread from ferret to ferret through respiratory droplets. Uh, this is despite the fact that regular human contact with animal reservoirs like poultry over the past 50 plus years that we've known about this thing, uh, H5, H5 strange have caused uh, sustained human disease in basically no situation. So this human-to-human spread has not happened yet in nature. And the NSAB, this regulatory group, felt that the mutations that were created by this research group basically could expedite a zoonotic shift, Mm -hmm. which would lead to a more transmissible virus between humans and a potentially catastrophic pandemic. And they recommended that basically the details of this research, the details of these papers need to be redacted and not published and that they should not report methodological details sufficient enough to replicate the experiments. One of the things about science is like the whole point of it is you publish your findings and you do it in such a way that if like another research group halfway around the world wanted to check your findings, they could recreate your results by reading your paper. Mm -hmm. Uh, like a like a cookbook, like a recipe, right? If you want someone, like you're like, oh, I just made a really kick-ass cake. I want someone in Australia to be able to make this too. You send them the recipe book, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of what scientific research is like. Yeah. But they're basically saying, we don't like this cake. 
we don't like this flavor. It's going to make us all fat and dead. <laughs> um, you need to like cut out how many eggs you used and like how much sugar. You can say that you were making a cake, but you can't really like publish how. And why that was a controversy is that basically goes against science, like the whole scientific method. Yeah. Like you, you just, you don't do that. But also you, you are open and you publish your uh, methods. But also, I mean, this is like, this could point to what they're probably worried about is like viral warfare. Like say you figure yeah. out how to wait to like engineer a virus and be able to drop it in. Like basically what the conspiracies were yeah. saying just happened where, you know, China was yeah. trying to release this onto the world to try to blah, blah, blah and what have mm-hmm. you. Um, this is a situation where pretty much what they're saying is this would not happen in nature. What you're doing is defying the timeline. You know, you're going way beyond what would be happening. Uh, yeah, they're they're saying like this hasn't happened yet, yeah. and basically they're they were just trying to like uh, speed up the clock yeah. in the lab mm-hmm. and to see like what what would it take, what would it look like for it to get yeah. there, for it to actually be able to mm-hmm. spread. Which I mean, and, and you know, this freaked people out, obviously. Yeah, which makes sense for geeks to want to go down that rabbit hole and want to like actually know about it. But then when you think about it in the wrong hands, it does make sense. Like, you know, you give this to yeah. somebody who has the ability to drop this somewhere else. That's not the greatest. But uh, the counter argument is like, how are we going to prepare for it? How are, we, how are we going to be ready if we don't know this information? Exactly, yeah. And if we can't, yeah, if we can't spread this information around to other researchers, uh, we're all going to be in the dark when this might happen. Yeah, and I mean, you uh, would be able to even like even create a vaccine potentially if you found the very, you know, the the strain that would jump to humans, you might be able to reverse engineer it and before it even happens have, you know, some sort of uh, a cure or a vaccine on ice waiting for the day that this does potentially happen. So we're not looking like we did this past year and we're scrambling for answers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean, you think back to like the anthrax uh, bioterrorism attack in 2001, and that was like a, you know, this the scientist who was an anthrax expert, you know, took what he knew about it to weaponize it. Yeah. And could such a thing happen with this? Um, you know, this is basically a doomsday virus that could get out. And this was basically a group of researchers saying, we want to publish the recipe guide for how to make, uh, you know, civilization ending doomsday virus. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but then the, the counter argument is we need this information to come out. This is not science, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, uh, basically they agreed, uh, on a, a solution where the investigators would have to like kind of revise their, um, their plans. And if they wanted to proceed doing their research, they would have to abide by some rules. So there were two groups, one at UW Madison led by Yoshihiro Kawaka. I think yeah, I think pretty close. He yeah. was based. Yeah, he, he was working on H5N1 that uh, paused in 2014, and his work involved looking at what mutations allow them to transmit from respiratory droplets and ferrets. And his basically requirements that he was given, he could continue doing his research, but he must immediately notify the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, so that's Anthony Fauci's uh, peoples, um, if he were to identify an H5N1 strain that could spread via respiratory droplets in ferrets and would be highly pathogenic, or if he accidentally developed something that was resistant to drugs. So basically, uh, if he's like, Eureka, I've done it, I've developed this doomsday virus, basically he has to like 
tell that to uh, the government. Yeah, and they immediately raid his lab and take his research and get rid of him. Uh, And they're like, hey, peace out. Uh, You're done. Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was another group led by Dutch virologists uh, that basically was doing the same kind of thing out of Mount Sinai in New York City. And uh, basically... The, the controversy kind of raged for, for quite a few years and the, the blocking of publications, ultimately they, end, they did end up getting published, but they were in like a kind of redacted form for the public. But apparently like they could send out like a more complete version to researchers if they could prove that they weren't going to like be James Bond villains about okay. it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like... For for me, I think I agree with that approach because, I mean, I really do think, like, in the government, there's certain things that we keep away from the people. Like, whether people like it yeah. or not, they want 100% transparency in what the government does. But honestly, I think that that should not be the case. I think there's certain things, like any yeah. job, like at certain le- like think about any company. Does any person at the lowest level know exactly what happens at the top level? No, they don't. And Or vice versa. Well, yeah, exactly. And do you need to know? Probably not. You'd like to know, but do you need to know? No. And like, would you having that information help in any way at that other level? Most likely, probably not. Like, so, so just keep it where it needs to be and, you know, keep it out of the wrong hands. Well, and that, it also like, it feeds into the whole like China lab COVID conspiracy theory thing that's going on right now is when you try to censor research and when you try to like drive it underground or like you know make it um you know censored Uh then you get you get a a situation where you know the research is being done anyway but it looks like it's being covered Mm -hmm. up or it looks like it's being like uh you know censored and that's just going to feed into like you know these conspiracy theories and stuff so the argument is like this doesn't make it the world a safer place but it does make it a less enlightened yeah. one if we're going to be like hiding scientific well, research. Well and then it, all it takes is I mean a redditor to get a you know a document from that's redacted like everybody gets and mm-hmm. then one researcher to leak it out of the lab in Wuhan and they put the mm-hmm. comparison between the two and they're like look they're redacting their research and somebody like you would be like oh yeah well that they were forced to do that like that was actually in an agreement but, uh, you yeah. know, the normie norms out there just sitting on Reddit, you know, and, and eating their, their, their Doritos and their Mountain Dew. And they're like, whoa, hold Ooh. on a second. Like, China's responsible for leaking this out of their lab. And bam, it becomes a story that literally um, presidents all around the world, um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. are talking about and are figuring out, oh, should we send resources to China now? And should we be, you know demonizing them forever for something that probably was this exact thing where they were told to mm-hmm. make sure that they redact their research because they're dealing with highly, you know, dangerous viruses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that, that was like a big news story. Um, when I was like in grad school, it spawned like a lot of like, uh, debate. I remember debating in a class and, uh, it was, you know, Bird flu. Maybe, maybe that contributed to my like uh, my fear of the thing, because <laughs> I spent a lot of time talking about bird flu in grad school. Um, so, could this be happening in real life? That was in the lab, but like, you know, what are the what are the chances that a new H five virus gets out? Well, I mentioned at the beginning that Russia has reported a new strain of uh, avian flu in humans. 
This was an H5N8 avian flu virus that Russia uh, alerted the WHO to in 2021. That's this year. And in a televised remark, the head of Russia's health watchdog, (sighs) Rospred Benzor. (laughs) Yep. Rospodre Nadzor. Uh, Nadzor. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, the their health watchdog, the head of it is Anna Popova, said scientists at the Vector Laboratory mm. had isolated the strain's genetic material from seven workers at a poultry farm in the southern part of Russia, where an outbreak was recorded among birds this past December. The workers did not suffer any serious health consequences, she added, but they were believed to have caught the virus from poultry on the farm and in case we are worried don't worry because siberia's vector institute said on uh february 2021 that it would start developing human tests and a vaccine against h5n8 Mm. so siberia's vector institute has our back Mm y'all but this is an example of like in the news and i encourage you all i implore you Add bird flu as a search term to your news uh, feed and uh, join me. <laughs> join me in this, on this life. quest. Uh, yeah. That was one of the last ones that I got pinged on. Uh, there's a H5N8 outbreak in Russia. Again, signaling that we are, um, you know, kind of uh, always being bombarded by these uh, these flying viruses. So the final one I want to talk about the H7s. So uh, we've talked about how the H5s are scary and H5s, particularly H5N1, is the infamous one. That is like the quote-unquote bird flu that probably everyone knows about uh, or thinks they know about. But the number of zoonotic infections caused by H7N9 has actually far surpassed the number of infections attributed to H5. So if there's a bird flu outbreak or has been one, it's more likely than not that it was an H7N9. But despite the clear public health concerns posed by this H7 variant, it's unclear why this virus subtype became endemic in poultry and has emerged in humans to such an extent. And so there's a lot of unknowns uh, throughout a lot of this episode, which is um, another reason why I think we need to do uh, open... Uh, research on it and be kind of clear about it. So the uh, H7s have appeared in Italy, Pakistan, Chile, Canada, Mexico, Australia, UK, Spain, and even the USA. The last two um, H7 spillovers happened in the US of A, one in 2016, one in 2017, and uh, they both were thought to have come from either turkey or chicken farms. Okay. So the America virus. Mm-hmm. So since the emergence of the H7N9 variant in China back in March of 2013, uh, again, not real big numbers here. There's only been a, a total of 1,567 laboratory confirmed human cases, although there is a 39% mortality rate amongst uh, those cases. Um this did include some troubling information because 
there were 40 instances, 40 documented cases where two or three human cases were infected by a shared source, meaning it was gaining the ability to uh, to spread from uh, you know organism to organism. And it is thought that human infections, again, were acquired directly from poultry, which shed this virus and themselves had no clinical signs of the disease. So low pathogenic in chickens, uh, high pathogenic in people. Okay. So still, still, uh, pretty scary. We're getting, we're getting to the scary nitty gritty when it's right in our faces. Mm-hmm. So the, the bird flu that, you know, basically put everyone's attention on the map, the, the H5 variants, um, these viruses caused the destruction of millions of domestic birds, had large socioeconomic ramifications, but limited number of human cases. And again, this is in stark contrast to the H7 subtypes that we're, we're talking about now. And given the repeated spillover into mammals, particularly humans, that's going on with this, this uh, subtype, there has been an increasing concern that human H7 infections may lead to local epidemics, and given the transmissibility potential between people, the next global pandemic. So the H7 variants could be what, uh, you know, basically fills our COVID void in our hearts. When COVID is gone, what else are we going to complain about? (laughs) Maybe it's going to be an H7. So the current reservoir for H7N9 is commercial poultry, particularly... uh, these commercial uh, poultry farms in uh, China. This clearly demonstrates that if we're going to basically try to prevent this horror show, if we're going to try to prevent the next quote-unquote COVID, we need to adopt a an approach that not only looks at the health of people, but also the health of wildlife, domestic animals, uh, and looks at it all holistically as a kind of one health approach. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be how hopefully we we avoid this this waking nightmare. And uh, one note, just to uh, add on to this, H7N2 variants of the H7 type uh, have been found in cats in animal shelters and uh, have it resulted in at least one human infection. Oh, cats. So they're coming for our cats. Cats eating the birds. Yep. It's their fault. Yep. They yep. Murder, yep. They're murderers. So this has been our little toe dip into the uh, soupy world of bird flu, Mm -hmm. the liquidy bird poop that (laughs) is uh, bird flu. And uh, I'll end with these, these words from Nancy Cox, who led the CDC's influenza operations for more than two decades. So this is an expert. She says, quote, we don't know how the story is going to end. End quote. But not is all lost. Not is all lost because the Boy Scouts of America stand prepared and ready to help us. Be prepared. <laughs> the Boy Scouts of America uh, post a bunch of a plethora because you know isn't that a saying? Be prepared that's, or yeah, always that's, prepared that's the motto. or something. Yep, I was a I was yeah, a yeah. scout. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. I made it up to Weebelow. 
I bu- did you actually make it to like Boy Scout? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made it pretty far, uh, and then I uh, joined a, a pop punk band, and I was like, I don't need this anymore. Um, but Rebel. yeah. <laughs> well, so you know, you probably got trained on like like hiking oh, yeah? or don't uh, touch birds, maybe, mm-hmm, or maybe hazardous weather training. Uh, maybe you got trained on snake bites or snake bite mm-hmm. prevention. Uh, did you get trained on guidelines for using cannons? Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, in addition to all that stuff, including a, a really compelling article on these dangers of sky lanterns, <laughs> uh, amongst others, they include bird flu. Okay. As part of their kind of overall approach towards preparedness and readiness, there's uh some really good information on this this uh, Boy Scouts of America website. Not only can you prevent flaming or magic neckerchiefs and exploring articles that extol the dangers of paintballing among scouts, <laughs> uh, you can learn about flu prevention and uh, H1N1 and other kinds of bird flus. So uh, that's the... Um, the Boy Scouts. Wow. And so it's it's infiltrated to the Scouts, so we know it's important. Yeah, but it's a pretty I, great... I know that I rest easy at night knowing that the Boy Scouts are out there, uh, you know, whittling a stick <laughs> and, and, and getting us ready for bird flu. Yeah, I mean, and they do a good job of breaking it down, too. Go check it out. I'll put the, uh, yeah. I'll put the link in the show notes, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, I mean... Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty heavy for a Boy Scouts section... <laughs> Talking about people who have died and yeah. everything. It's pretty intense. So yeah. Go check it out. Yeah. I, I just like honestly, I was not I was not expecting to see like a, a nice preparedness document uh written by the Boy Scouts of America on, on Bird Flu. Hey, you know. But there it is. Underestimate. Always them. prepared. I believe it. Now I'm a believer. <laughs> There we go. Wish I would have gone further than Weeblow. Uh, I didn't know we know, were gonna learn about stuff like, I feel like, like bird he- flu or snake bites or drone safety. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Which is the thing. It's it's definitely changed now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, so that's that's bird flu uh and I I hope you're all scared. I hope you're all good and good and Yeah, scared. I mean, I'm but again, I'm a little bit more scared. Knowledge is power. We got to we got to know, you know, that that this is a thing. We can't just like be done with COVID and say, "Well, that sucked." Uh but you know, Let's go back to normal. Yeah, ex- no more masks. It's cool. Yeah, ex- and just forget about it. Yeah, I mean, we just like learn from it. If I, like anybody who listens to us, like ah, we're preaching to the choir. These people care. They're listening to us. They're, they're yeah. they they made it to the Boy Scouts in this episode. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're down with it. But the rest of the world, ooh, man. We'll see. I mean, once we once we get that Joe Rogan contract on Spotify, we'll whew, everybody will be prepped. Mm-hmm. The whole world will be prepared. You know. Well, we better get that contract if we're going to be able to tell people about the antidote. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then it just cuts out. And uh, it's <laughs> like that CDC, like the sounder from the TV. Yeah. Ooh, they had something like that in Quiet Place. Go oh, see it. It's cool. going to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. Man, so, I mean, this was fun. I, I learned a ton with this episode. I know, uh, you know, it could be a little confusing back and forth, but I think uh, breaking down the drift and the shift and all that, like I think it really puts into perspective exactly how it's how it's happening uh, for our us uh, 
us uh, normies to try to take it in. <laughs> That's going to be my new Always favorite prepared. word to use now. When uh, I'm mm-hmm. like, Brett's a doctor and I'm, uh, I'm a normie here, but I feel pretty good. I'm like a mid-level normie, yeah. though. I'm like, like entry-level normie. Oh, yeah. You're, you're definitely like maybe, uh, yeah, maybe like a, a master's degree in... In norminess. Something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, that has been our episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as always, if you like what you heard, please go over to um, Apple Podcast and like. Uh, give us a five-star review and uh, let us know what you think. Uh, if you have any episode ideas, go ahead and shoot us an email over viralloadpod at gmail.com, as so many have. Uh, we're working on a few other episodes. We're actually going to have one of our listeners who had a correction to one of our episodes. That's right. Uh they were Ooh. they were worried about uh, how we portrayed something, uh, and we listened to that. So we're gonna have them on shortly on a little particle to kind of discuss what their uh, what their flack and guff about our episode was. Um, and yeah, and uh, just go follow us on the the socials. And by the way, we will have new graphics coming out. Um, thanks mm-hmm. to Josh Sood. Uh, who's working on that right now? So uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, it's coming out pretty awesome. So yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you're looking for a way to support us, tell your friends and tell your neighbors and whoever else might be interested about it. But uh, yeah, check out the merch store. We have uh, some cool stuff, swag, uh, which, you know, a way to support us and uh, look cool doing it. Mm-hmm. Let people know. Exactly. Birds are real. <laughs> they're, com- they're coming for oh, you. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, yeah <laughs> some sooner than later uh, well that'll do it <laughs> perfect <laughs> ending uh, um, <sighs> as always I've been Eddie Pupa I'm Brett Bales and birds Ooh, that was good Everybody's heard about the bird. Oh my god, this is Surfing Bird by the Trashman. This is my favorite song of all time. Oh, well, a bird, bird, bird. The bird's a word, oh, well, a bird, bird, bird. Well, a bird is a word, oh, well, a bird, bird. The bird's a word, oh, well, a bird, bird, bird. The bird's a word, oh, well, a bird, bird, bird. Well, a bird is a word. Chris, don't you know about the bird? Make everybody knows that the bird is the word. Oh, well, a bird, bird, bird. The bird is the word. Hey, guy behind the counter. The bird is the word. Hey, frightened little child. The bird is the word. Lady on the toilet. The bird is the word. Hey, don't you know about the bird? Sure, everybody. Everybody knows that the bird is the word. Oh, well, a bird, bird, but birds are word. Oh, well, a bird. Again, again, I love repetition.